0: Welcome to Research Time, a new podcast designed to highlight translational research from Queen's University. The main goal of these podcasts will be to focus on the researcher and their journey through the lab. My name is Dr. Charlie Hymarch, and I'm a genomics researcher at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. David Reed and Dr. Stephen Vanner, who have recently published their research entitled, Histamine Production by the Gut Microbiota Induces Visceral Hyperalgesia, through histamine 4 receptor signaling in mice, in a high impact journal called Science Translational Medicine. The link for this paper can be found in the description. Dr. David Reed and Dr. Stephen Vanner are world class clinical research scientists working at Queen's University for the Gastrointestinal Disease Research Unit, or GIDRU. Today, we're going to find out more about their research and try and understand how this will benefit Canadians. So, Dr. Reed, firstly, I'd like you to help me unpack the title of your paper a little bit. Can you help our audience understand in lay terms what your paper was about and what the main findings were?
1: Well, firstly, uh, thank you, Charlie, for inviting us to discuss our paper uh, today. So the, the current paper we're talking about actually stemmed from a previous study we did um, in patients with irritable bowel syndrome, who uh, went on a couple of different diets. And we noticed in uh, a subgroup of the patients that uh, had improved in their symptoms on a, on a diet that was low in carbohydrates that the gut microbiota ferments had a change in their uh, histamine levels in the urine uh, because they gave urine samples before and after the diet. So we wanted to investigate um, what were the mechanisms for this change in the histamine that we had measured. And we thought the microbiota may be uh, a source of that histamine So uh, we took the uh, stool samples from um, patients who had either a high level of urine histamine or a low level of urine histamine and put that into uh, mice and put them on the same diets that we had put the patients on in our previous clinical study. And we noticed that the, the patients who had a high urine histamine, their microbiota seemed to give higher pain signaling from the gut than the mice who had the microbiota from patients with a low urine histamine. And we delved into it further, and we could discovered that uh, the microbiota from these high urine histamine patients produced a significant amount uh, more histamine. Uh, and in fact, going further uh, into it, we discovered there was a bacteria, a single strain of bacteria, which produced very high levels of histamine compared to any other strains that uh, that we isolated. Um, in collaboration with our uh, colleagues at McMaster, led by Drs. Uh, Giada De Palma and Dr. Chemik Birchik. And then uh, we did some pharmacology then and could show that we could block this histamine signaling by blocking a specific histamine receptor, the histamine 4 receptor, and bring change the level of pain signaling coming from the gut.
0: Okay, that, that's amazing. That's fascinating, cutting-edge science. I just want to uh, uh, approach uh, Dr. Vanner and just ask him a little bit more about IBS and, and what that means to patients that uh, you see in your clinic. Thanks, Charlie. Irritable bowel syndrome is hugely
2: impactful for Canadians. Depending on how you define it, it can affect anywhere between 5 to 10% of the adult population uh, across our country, and indeed uh, North America and around the world. And it's often cited that next to the common cold that irritable bowel syndrome-like symptoms are among the most common reasons why we're not able to go to school or we're not able to go to work. So these are uh, tremendously uh, impactful disorders and uh, the pain of irritable bowel syndrome, which is one of the defining uh, criteria and features... Um, can be extremely severe. And so uh, physicians and patients and healthcare providers are deeply interested in uh, what the causes uh, of this pain might be so that we can get better treatments.
0: So Dr. Reed, uh, when we're talking about the microbiota, what, what, what do you mean when you're saying that?
1: Um, well, this is obviously the bacteria that reside in our gut. And I think actually this would be a good opportunity for our colleagues at McMaster to talk more about uh, specifically the gut microbiota and how it impacts health. So I'd like to, if I could, introduce our colleagues, Dr. Giada De Palma and Dr. Chaimik Uh
3: Thank you, David and Charlie, for for this invitation. It, it's great to uh, to share this uh, this post- podcast. So I would like first uh, say a few words about the microbiome in general and. In a way, it is a combination of all these microorganisms which live in our digestive tract, including uh, bacteria, archaea, viruses, and and fungi. And during the last two decades, it has been uh, increasingly recognized that they play a key role in our health, but also in, in disease. And it relates not only to the chronic gastrointestinal disorders, but also to metabolism, shaping the immune system. And uh, for example, even uh, malignancies, so uh, uh, cancer uh, diseases. With respect to irritable bowel syndrome, there are many studies which uh, suggested that uh, IBS uh, can be uh, triggered by uh, gastrointestinal infections, either bacteria or viral ones, that changing the, the microbiota composition can induce uh, symptoms of IBS and we actually use antibiotics, uh, at least in a uh, proportion of patients, to treat IBS. So there is really mounting evidence that uh, microbiota, uh, to a significant degree, can determine how we uh, feel, I mean, whether it's uh, the, the, the gastrointestinal symptoms. And there is even data showing that uh, gut microbiota can uh, modify our mood, uh, let's say anxiety or depression.
0: Thank you for that. So
3: I I think when most
0: people hear the word histamine, they probably end up, their go-to is to think about allergies and not necessarily their guts. How did you pinpoint histamine as a factor in IBS and not some other noxious substance?
2: We've known actually for a long time that uh, in the tissues of patients suffering from irritable bowel syndrome in the intestine, that the histamine levels are elevated. And one of the key questions has been, where's that histamine coming from? And we know that immune cells, in particular mast cells in these tissues, contain histamine, but we've always uh, wondered uh, what the triggers to release that histamine might be and also whether there might be other sources. And that's one of the really profound findings in this study is that it turns out that the microbiota could be one of the previously unrecognized key sources of this histamine. And it's well known as well that histamine is a major driver of pain. So understanding where it's coming from is key in terms of developing
0: therapies. We've already heard from McMaster that there's many different types of bacteria in the gut. So how do you go about finding out which of the bacteria causes an increase in histamine that causes this pain in IBS patients? Well, I I think um, we've been able to do this uh, through
2: um, actually the help of our patients because they've been very generous in uh, providing samples to us that we can then use to analyze in translational studies. So we were able to find patients who were suffering uh, with the symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome And as Dr. Reed uh, previously mentioned, we identified uh, from diet studies, patients who had high histamine levels that were signaling in their urine samples. And based on that, we were then able to take their stool samples and work with our colleagues at McMaster in their germ-free animal facility where they can actually humanize the mice with the human samples. And I think it'd be uh, lovely to hear more from our colleagues at McMaster about how they actually went about doing these studies.
4: Thank you, Dr. Banner. These uh, humanized mice are actually uh, based on uh, previous work that we have done, where we took uh, germ-free mice, which are mice that are completely devoid of any microorganism, virus, fungi, and we colonized them with tools from patients with irritable bowel syndrome or healthy controls. When we do this, we saw in our previous work that we were able to to recapitulate the uh, phenotype that we saw in uh, IBS patients. So these mice had increased uh, um, uh, intestinal transit, meaning more diarrhea uh, as uh, the patients that we used to colonize them. And they also presented with uh, increased anxiety when we used patients with uh, um, IBS and, and anxiety. So we used this model that proved to be uh, to be working very well for our uh, for our hypothesis. And uh, we took now uh, samples from the patients that came from the clinic of Dr. Uh, Steven Warner and Dr. David Reed and uh, colonized germ free mice. When we colonized these mice, uh, our hypothesis now was different. We now wanted to know what was the uh, role of bacterial histamine in driving visceral hyperalgesia. But we used this model because it proved that it was working very well for our uh, hypothesis.
0: So how do you measure how much of each type of bacteria there is in the gut? and find out what the relative impact of it is on
1: IBS.
4: So to analyze the gut microbiota, we use a technique that is called 16S gene sequencing. And doing that, we are able to see how many bacteria we have and uh, in which proportion they are present. Uh, then uh, from our study in humanized mice, we observed that there was an effect. We observed that these humanized mice colonized with this microbiota from IBS patients, presented with an increased visceral hyperalgesia. So then we took the microbiota of these mice and the microbiota of the original donor samples uh, and uh, did in vitro studies to study the functionality of this microbiota. And in particular, because our hypothesis was that microbiota was... um, indeed producing histamine, we tested for uh, histamine production. Histamine is produced uh, through the activity of an enzyme that uh, um, convert histidine into histamine. And this is called the histidine decarboxylase. So in order to test functionality of these bacteria and this microbiota, we added uh, excess histidine in the media and tested and um, analyzed uh, the histamine production. This way, we were able to uh, establish that certain IBS patients, especially those that in the mice were inducing increased hyperalgesia, had an increased histamine production. From these cultures, we took uh, the bacteria, we isolated all the single colonies and the single bacteria present present in the tubes and uh, identify them and found that the best histamine producer was a gram negative bacterium that possessed the enzyme histidine decarboxylase and is called Klebsiella aerogenes in our case.
0: So, Dr. Reed, are, are certain people more likely to have a type of microbiome that produces more histamine and uh, and therefore causes more IBS? Well,
1: I think that's a, an important point um, in that. Patients with IBS, um, there's probably subgroups of people who um, have mechanisms driving their symptoms compared to different mechanisms in another group of patients with with IBS. So um, we're starting now to understand that rather than just a single group of patients and trying to treat everybody the same, to try and hopefully better identify what the mechanisms in subgroup of IBS patients is here versus the mechanisms of this other subgroup. And so some people, it it looks like have maybe a more microbiota host interaction driving their symptoms. Um, And certainly in some of the work that uh, we've done in collaboration with our colleagues at McMaster, some patients have a microbiota with bacteria that produce a high level of histamine, whereas other patients do not. And so um, the patients who have a microbiota that are producing high level of histamine, targeting that pathway may, may be a very g- good therapeutic option to improve their symptoms, whereas the patients who don't have high histamine producing microbi- uh, microbiota, treating them uh, that sort of targets this histamine signaling pathway may not be as effective, and thus we need to understand what's driving their symptoms and the mechanisms and target those mechanisms specifically.
0: So how do you imagine that these kind of treatments are going to manifest in the future? Is it, is it going to be some sort of pill or some sort of uh, uh, off-the-shelf grocery product that's going to allow you to manage your gut health? So I think there's a number of options. One of the
2: things that is worth, I think, emphasizing is for many years, patients with irritable bowel syndrome have gone to their doctors and they've been told, well, your tests are all normal. And it's left them with the impression that uh, they're really uh, maybe weren't being taken as seriously as other patients or even sometimes got the impression that we might have thought their symptoms were sort of all in their head. And I think it's really helpful for patients to understand that actually there are some mechanisms that are now being understood that it can explain their symptoms because it leaves you in this sort of void of being told that your tests are all normal, but at the same time, you're suffering with a lot of discomfort. So I think that alone is going to be very helpful in um, patients in terms of um, being able to deal with their disorder. The histamine itself um, opens up uh, an exciting number of therapeutic options, both in terms of medication. So we have histamine receptor antagonists that we can uh, now, um, in in the uh, subgroups of patients we think where this is an important mechanism, we can undergo clinical trials to see, indeed, if there's benefit. There's also the opportunity to manipulate the microbiota. So if you are one of those individuals who has a microbiota community that is a high histamine producer then we can devise microbiota therapies and or diet therapies that might shift that microbiota community to a less histamine-producing community and thereby help your symptoms.
0: So you've raised a few interesting points there, and and I think one of them is the, the education piece of just allowing kind of almost a forgotten generation of IBS sufferers know that you know their symptoms weren't crazy, and they they were they were legitimate. But also the medical community having a better understanding that these are real symptoms and have a sort of treat a treatment strategy attached to them. Um, you you've also sort of suggested that uh, this kind of uh, treatments can be highly personalized, so individuals will e- effectively you could see in the future have their own microbiota analyzed and then a treatment devised by clinicians that uh, is specific to them. Yes, it's a very
2: exciting time actually in uh, therapeutics for disorders like irritable bowel syndrome and other chronic conditions where we just didn't have uh, a good understanding, and so it's opened up this whole world of so-called precision medicine, where we can individualize therapies uh, that uh, will be beneficial and avoid putting our patients on medications that not
0: only aren't helpful but could even have side
2: effects that would be detrimental.
0: So this is this is very exciting research, as you've said. Um, we we, we are, we're constantly reading in the news about an exciting discovery that's made in a laboratory somewhere. How's this going to actually translate meaningfully to patients? And, and do you think that that's going to be in a in a, in a in a reasonable length of time, as in the next decade?
1: Well, I think certainly we 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 hope to um, move a lot, you know, more quickly than we've been able to in the past. And the the key, I think, will be trying to um, enrich the population of of patients in which we're studying. Uh, a specific therapy in a in a clinical trial. So rather than just simply um, take anyone, for example, with irritable bowel syndrome, and put some patients on the treatment and other patients uh, get a placebo, enriching that group where we say we think this is the mechanism underlying your symptoms, and and just test the therapy in that group of patients. I think we have the potential to identify a much uh, more efficacious therapy for that subgroup, um, compared to you know just testing it in everybody. And I think the next really big step that we um, are hoping to do is really be able to identify subgroups of patients uh, that we can then really target the mechanism uh, in them rather than just uh, give a single treatment to all comers.
0: Okay, so more generally, and I'm thinking about people who maybe don't have IBS, we presumably, as we've heard from our colleagues at McMaster, we, we all have a very diverse microbiome in our guts. Is there anything that we should all be doing to help keep that microbiome diverse? And and it, it, are these efforts preventative in any way? I
2: think the best advice today is um, just the very practical healthy living lifestyle. So. Uh, we know that uh, diet is influential uh, for patients uh, with irritable bowel syndrome and for others without. And so, following the Canada Health uh, Guide is is I think a logical, important place to to start. Um, all the other sort of uh, motherly statements are, are are important. You know, getting your rest, exercise. Um, Taking care of your wellness are, are uh, all, all things that uh, contribute to our well-being and uh, are impactful for patients with irritable bowel syndrome, but for Canadians in general. So how did you get the patients to help you with your research? So Charlie, we've been very fortunate to be uh, participants in a national CIHR-funded patient-oriented research study called IMAGINE. This study uh, focuses on patients with irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease examining the relationship between the microbiota in our gut, our diet, and our psychological well-being. And this involves uh, participants uh, 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 of 2,000 patients across the country. And we are the co-leads of the irritable bowel syndrome cohort with our McMaster colleagues. And uh, Dr. Paul Maietti at uh, McMaster is the uh, lead of the entire study across the country. So this has been a tremendous uh, resource and uh, offers a lot of promise to unravel this very complicated dynamic that we know is an important driver of symptoms in our patients.
0: I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Dr. Reid and Dr. Vanner and our colleagues from McMaster for discussing their research with me today. If you'd like to know more about this or other translational research from Queen's University, you can follow us on Twitter at QueensUTime or check out the description for more details. If you want to hear this again or share it with others, you can find this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you normally find your podcasts. On behalf of the Translational Institute of Medicine at Queen's University, I'd like to thank you very much for listening today.